We are wrapping up our Truth Seekers series this morning. We have spent the fall talking about what does it mean to be people who are seekers of the truth. As followers of Jesus, truth should be incredibly important to us. We believe the Word of God is truth. We believe that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life. We are supposed to walk in truth, walk in integrity. Truth is supposed to be hugely important to us, not just when it comes to our Bibles, but we should be committed to truth everywhere in our lives. And so we have spent time this fall talking about what that means, why it's important, how can we tell, how can we check if something is true or not. We're living in an unusual and unprecedented time in history when we are just so connected to literally every opinion, every worldview, every thought that is out there, we're connected to it. And so because of that, we're going to have to work harder to be discerning because everyone out there is claiming to have the truth and that can't be the case, right? If there's only one truth, we need to make sure that we are finding it. And so we need to be discerning people if we are going to be Christ-like people. And we've talked about in this series, it's an easy series to say, well, this is for someone else to hear, right? This is good news for my wife or my husband. This is something that that person in the pew over there needs to hear. But no, you need to hear it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to hear this. Husbands and wives are saying that especially passionately. You need to hear this this morning. We all need to hear this. I need to hear this. I have been challenged as I've gone through this series. But one of the things we've talked about is nobody should be so proud or arrogant as to think that you might not be deceived in something, that there might not be something that you have missed the truth on. And we use the picture of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and how they were face-to-face -face with God. They were face-to-face -face with his glory. They were face-to-face. -face. They heard his voice. They knew him intimately. And when Satan came knocking, they were still deceived. And so we also could be if we're not careful. And that's not something to make us fearful, but it's something that should make us careful and make us very committed that, hey, we're really looking for truth in our lives. We are going to be seekers of the truth. I will warn you as we get into the message today uh, that I was incredibly convicted this week as I prepared this message. I am not good at everything that we're going to talk about today. And so just as I was getting the scriptures together and as I was getting ready, the Lord was dealing dealing with me in some of my sin in this area of what we're going to be talking about today. And I have been praying that you're going to get convicted this morning too. So are you ready for a good biblical punch in the face this morning? That's where we're going. All right. This is my daughter Kaylee at about six to eight months years of age. Uh, when I show this picture, I'd like to say we really believe in textbook push-ups in our household. And so we start them off really young. Uh, so Kaylee is our firstborn. And Kaylee was about this age when she lied to me for the first time. Now, she wasn't speaking at that point. She didn't have words yet, but she lied to me nonetheless. So here is how this happened. Uh, Kaylee had a really hard time sleeping. They, she would just be up all night. Uh, Matthew was exactly the same, and then we had them close together, so we just didn't sleep for like three years straight. And everything's a little harder when you're not sleeping, when you're exhausted. And so we tried everything, and we read books, and we read blogs, and we talked to the doctor, and we talked to our parents, and we talked to other parents of how do you get your kid to sleep through the night without fussing? And so we tried the cry it out method, and then there's like a pick up, put down method, and then there's a method where you stand there with your hand on their chest, and and I, my personal experience is no method has worked ever. None of them work. Your experience may be different. Um, but at this point, when Kaylee told me her first lie, uh, we were trying the cry it out thing. So in the cry it out method, the theory is kids need to learn to calm themselves. They need to learn to put themselves to sleep. And so you let them cry, and they will eventually figure it out. 
And so uh, on this particular night, it was the middle of the night, uh, it was my shift, it was my turn to take care of the baby. We had to do literally sleep shifts because the sleep was so bad with our kids. And so Sarah was sleeping, I was in the living room reading a book. I didn't even try to sleep when it was my shift. It was just, I'm going to be up 11 times. So I was reading and I was keeping an eye on Kaylee. And so she began to cry and I let her cry for a while. And then she began to intensify in the crying and I, we're just going to let her cry it out. It's fine. And we're going to do this. And it was getting a little louder. And then it would get quieter. And so it's like, all right, she's maybe kind of figuring it out. And so we're just going to kind of ride this out. And then she screamed the most blood-curdling scream you can imagine to like the point where I'm like, there's no way she's not being murdered in her crib right now. And I go running in to see what has happened to my little girl. And from the moment I walk in the room and she saw my face, she just went from, Aah! and she was the happiest kid ever. And I picked her up. I'm like, are you hurt? What has happened? And she just snuggled into me and just cooed and was so happy to see me. And as I'm doing that, a bunch of thoughts are going through my head in that moment, which number one, of course, is, okay, well, thank the Lord you're okay, that nothing's actually wrong. Number two was, man, you're super cute when you just nuzzle into me and you coo and, and just make those little cute little baby noises. And number three was, you little liar. You liar. You manipulated me. You played me like a fiddle. Like you were not getting the response that you were looking for. You wanted someone to come and see you. It wasn't happening. And so you put on a show like you were being murdered that provoked me to come running in. You lied to your father. And it worked. And part of our theology, part of Orthodox theology, is that man is fallen, right? We are, we are not... Uh, choosing sin. We are sinful in our nature, and Jesus has to come and save us out of that. And I never really understood the fullness of that, honestly, until I had kids. And then I went, wow, it starts young. Like, we hadn't taught her to lie. We didn't teach her to manipulate. We didn't teach her to, to try and get something for herself. That was just in her. That was just hardwired there. And so uh, that was the first time she lied, and then she never lied again, ever. She's been perfect ever since, as, as my son as well. Um, kids lie. And, and we have to teach them to tell the truth. But we have to teach them that. There is something to it uh, where just their instinct is to lie. And they lie to protect themselves, and they lie to make themselves look better. They lie sometimes to make their sibling look worse or to throw their sibling under the bus. They lie because it betters their situation in their mind. It is something that is actually uh, beneficial in their mind. And so that's why they do it. And we don't always lose that as we get older. We don't always work our way out of that character problem. But if we're going to be people who are, are truth seekers, I didn't plan this rhyme, it just worked out. I hate it when preachers do this. But we're not just to be truth seekers, we need to be truth speakers. We need to be people who speak the truth as well as seek the truth. And the Bible talks a lot about the many sins that we commit with our words. There's lots of sins we commit with our words. One of them is lying. The Bible talks about gossip. The Bible talks about slander. Uh, the Bible talks about fault finding, like just sitting there and pointing out what's wrong and, and criticizing nonstop. The Bible talks about uh, factions, you know, where we get together and we just kind of grumble with people that we agree with and get annoyed at everybody else. The Bible talks about grumbling and complaining, like there are a lot of sins that just totally originate right here. There are a lot of sins that are, are based on what is coming out of our mouth, and we make all sorts of excuses for why we're not sinning when we do it. 
Right? It wasn't a lie. It was, it was an exaggeration, maybe, but it wasn't, it wasn't a lie. No, I wasn't gossiping when I talked about their marital problem. That was for prayer purposes. I just wanted to make sure people were praying, and that's why I said that. No, I wasn't. I'm not fault-finding. I'm just I'm sharing the truth. And we just find ways to justify why what we're doing is not sin, and yet so much that comes out of our mouths is sin. And I have asked this question as we have gone through this series, is that what is it that makes us holy? What is it that makes us different than the world around us? What is it that marks us as a Christ follower? Because if we as Christ followers have a casual relationship with truth, if we as Christ followers are just as gossipy, if we're just as slanderous, if we're just as fault-finding, if we're just as divisive, if we're just like the world around us, then why are we calling ourselves part of God's holy people? What makes us different? What sets us apart and some of it has to be what we're doing with our words, what we're doing with our mouths, and how we are committed to truth all the time. So let's take a look at our text today. We're in John chapter 8. Uh, Jesus is talking. We're going to start in verse 42. And Jesus is arguing uh, with the Jewish people. He was often in arguments with the Pharisees and different leaders, uh, getting into theological debates. And so in John chapter 8, that's what's happening. That's our context. Starting in verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So that'll be a springboard. We're going to touch on a bunch of other scriptures this morning as well. So the devil's a liar, amen? That's where the passage comes from. That's where that saying comes from, this particular passage that uh, we know this from the story of Scripture, obviously. This is Jesus just making it as clear as it can be. The devil is a liar. He's been lying from the beginning. When he's lying, that's his native language. That's just his natural default conversation. There is no truth in him. On the other side of that is Jesus, and Jesus says, I speak the truth. The reason I speak the truth is because I come from God. I come from God, I speak the truth. The devil's a liar, Jesus speaks the truth, right? Amen? Well, that's good. We can go home. That was all you needed to learn today. Devil's a liar, Jesus speaks the truth. Now, as followers of Jesus, we want to be like Jesus in every way, and so part of that's going to be, well, if Jesus speaks the truth, and I'm going to follow in the way of Jesus, I too need to speak the truth. Why in the world would I want to partner with the devil, right? The devil's territory is lies. The devil's territory is accusations, is slander, is gossip, is etc. Why in the world would I want to partner with him? Why in the world would I consider going down that path? I want to walk in the way of Christ. I want to walk in the way of my Savior. And so as Jesus is debating, he's just drawing the line in the sand. Satan is a liar. Jesus tells the truth. Who do we want to be in partnership with? Who do we want to follow? Who do we want to imitate? As followers of Jesus, we want to avoid uh, the enemy and avoid the ways that he uses words as much as possible. 
I have a friend uh, from the Pentecostal church from when I pastored there. And for a while, he, was, uh, he worked for the denomination. So he worked in the head office. His name is Mark. And as part of his job, uh, he would be a conference speaker. He would go into churches and do leadership training. And so he would travel all over Canada as part of his role of the denomination. And as I was getting to know him, I was just getting to hear some of his story. And he talked about some of his travels. And he had said, well, I've, I've honestly preached in churches from Newfoundland to BC and everywhere in between. And I've had the opportunity to go to big churches and small churches and big cities and small towns and rural places and, uh, and places that are um, just lots of different worship styles and different things. Like, it's been really cool to see what God's doing all over the place. And I said, well, what have you seen him doing? Like, what has been exciting? What is, what unites us, right? Every church is different. Every province is different. Cities are different from towns. But what are you seeing that's common and consistent? And he said, everywhere I go, uh, there is worship happening. Everywhere I go, the gospel is being preached. Everywhere I go, there are people committed to the word of God and committed to the mission of God. Everywhere I go, God is doing something. And that something might look different place to place, but it's like we sang this morning, he is moving, he is working all over the country. It's so good to see. And I said, and what about, like, is there anything negative that you see that's kind of consistent? Is there anything we should be aware of? Is there anything we should be watchful of? Uh, God is at work, and we know there is an enemy also at work, so is there a, a consistency at all in where you see the enemy at work? And he said, yes, absolutely. He didn't even have to think about it. He said, absolutely. He said, there are two things. He says, I, I've witnessed them in some form in every church I've ever been at. He says, I think they are universal. Some churches are worse than others. Uh, but I, I do see these things everywhere because it's just people. People are getting together. Wherever people gather together, it seems like these things will happen. And he said, those two things are gossip and slander. And that is the place where lies spread. And he said, some churches are terrible with it. Some churches are better at it, but, uh, but it is consistent. It is everywhere. And he says, that's just because uh, we don't really, most of us probably even know anybody in our lives who totally are guiltless of this. I am not, as much as I work on it. Uh, I don't know that many people who are that good at it. These things just seem so natural to us. Gossip when we talk about people behind their backs. Slander when we tear people down, often in partnership with gossip, which happens behind their back. We don't deal with people face to face, but we get very brave when we're in groups, and when we're in groups, we can share this stuff. And I had a friend, actually, who was pretty good at it. His name was Jesse. I was a new Christian, and he was a few years ahead of me, and I would go to him as a new Christian, and I would say, like, oh, did you hear? Right? Like the, the most delicious words ever, right? Did you hear about this? And he would say, I didn't, and honestly, I don't need to. He would just shut it down. And in my immature self-righteousness, I'd go, oh, Jesse, oh, he thinks he's so much better than everybody. You know what? He was better than everybody else. He was better at this. That was absolutely the right thing to do. And gossip, like some sins, is a sin that takes two people. There's a speaker and a listener, and all it takes is one person to say, you know, we're not going to do that. Let's not do that. And gossip and slander are often like cousins. They often go together. We get together with people, and we talk about other people. And, you know, we wouldn't call it gossip and slander if we got together and said, hey, Josh, isn't Chris like one of the best guitarists that you know? Right? Like, we wouldn't call that gossip and slander. But when we get into this category, it's not good stuff, usually. Right? It's we're passing judgment. We are tearing down. We are casting aspersions. We are making opinions. We're very, 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 very brave when the person is not in the room. But again, what makes us holy then? 
What makes us holy? If we're just as gossipy, if we're just as slanderous, if we're just as much trafficking and rumors and things that we've heard, like if we're just as much sharing stuff online that we haven't checked out, but we've just seen it, like if we're doing that just as much, what makes us holy? What makes us different? I said early in 2020 that the two, two of the most dangerous words that we were going to have to be careful of this year were, I heard. I heard. Right? I heard they're lying about the cases. I heard that they're sitting on a vaccine. I heard that they're manipulating this for profit. I heard, I heard, I heard. Okay, do you have evidence of it? Or are we trafficking in rumors without evidence? I'm not even saying it's not true. But do you have evidence beyond, I read something on the internet? Do you have evidence beyond that? Do you actually have facts? If we're going to share things as if they are truth, have we actually done any homework to see if they're truth? And that's one of the challenges in this age in which we live. So here's a verse from Jesus that's going to smack you in the face. Ready? Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, every careless word that people speak, they will give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Some versions say idle words. Some, some say different things. Every careless word, every word that people speak They'll give an account for it on the day of judgment. One day, we will all stand before the judgment throne of Christ. And the scripture says everything will be laid bare. Every secret of our heart, every sin, every motivation, every thought, and every word. Part of the basis of judgment day is going to be the things that we said. So if your judgment day were to happen this afternoon, how confident do you feel standing before Jesus based on the words that you have been speaking? Because I promise you, in that moment, our excuses aren't going to cut it. I'm not going to be able to stand before the glory of God and say, like, it was more of an exaggeration than a lie. I'm not going to be able to stand before God and say, that wasn't really gossip. We were just, we were talking. We were just talking. Stuff came up. I, I didn't control it. Our excuses won't matter. Every careless word that we speak, we will give an account for on the day of judgment. Let's let the fear of the Lord settle on us in a good way from the word of the Lord this morning, in a way that motivates us to do better, in a way that spurs us on towards holiness. We will give an account for everything. It's become a popular thing uh, in the age of social media to just share things, right? To post things. And I don't think it's in any way a stretch of this scripture to say every careless word also could mean every careless tweet, every post that we post, everything that we share, every rumor that we pass on, whatever that looks like, we will be judged for all of it. And it's become a common thing where people will share things and they'll say things like, I'm not saying I believe this article. It's just, it's just think it's interesting. Right? I'm not saying I believe it. I'm not saying that it's true. I'm just saying that it's interesting. I'm just putting it out into the world because I think it's interesting. And that's not how that works. If you think something's true, you need to dig into it, find out if it's true. If you found out that it is true and you think it's worthy of sharing, you should share it. But you don't just throw out things that may or may not be true and say, well, I'm not responsible for it. No, if you say it, you're responsible for it. If you post it, you're responsible for it. Your name is attached to it. Your integrity is attached to it. We should be slow to speak, Scripture says. And this is part of the reason why, is to make sure that the things that we speak, we actually believe in. The things that we speak, we actually know are true. I'm not going to share an article where I have no idea if it's true or not and say, yeah, I don't know if it's true. That's your job. No, it's my job as the sharer of it. I don't get to just say, I'm just saying it's interesting. I'm not saying it's true. We don't get to do that. 
If I were to say about you, hey, I, I heard you had an affair. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm going to post it on my social media. It's just interesting. I don't know if it's true. I'd be a terrible person to do that. We need to be more committed to truth than that. And social media, there's something about social media that can bring out just the junior high in all of us, I'm finding. There's just something about it where, you know, 15 years ago as a pastor, I never had to mediate uh, social media conflicts. And now that's something that we have to do just because it's a place where we engage and wherever people engage, there can be conflicts sometimes. But it becomes very much, well, I don't like what this person posted and I don't like what that person posted. And should that leader in the church have posted that? And should this leader of the church have said that and I'm having a fight with her and she posted that post about me and then you go talk to her and she says that wasn't about you no I just I was posting broadly on backstabbing friends who can't be trusted I wasn't saying it specifically about you and it's like man we all turned 13 years old again when we got on this stuff and again if you post it you're responsible for it and you know it shouldn't be the place where we're just passive aggressively working out our conflicts instead of talking to the person. I'm just going to post something and then they'll know. Like, it's grown up time, right? We're grown ups in this room. And so to actually be grown-ups and say, if I have a conflict, I'm going to go deal with the person, uh, best to do it on the phone or, or in person rather than try to do it through screens, I've just found. Um, but to be able to actually say, we're going to deal with it in a grown-up, non-passive aggressive way. If I'm posting things to like let people know how I'm feeling without actually talking to them about it, that's just a cowardly way to deal with conflict. Right? As grown-ups, we actually go and we deal with the thing. Jesus also said this a couple of verses earlier. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we often think about, well, our words come from our brain. And obviously our brain is playing a part in it. But Jesus says, it's out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks. Whatever is going on inside, that's what's coming out of your mouth. And so that's actually very helpful and, and, and also convicting, obviously, at the same time, because that means that if I'm speaking bitter words, then there's some bitterness going on inside of me. If I'm speaking fearful words, then there's some fear going on inside of me. If I'm speaking angry words, there's some anger going on in my heart. If I'm speaking faith-filled words, then there's faith here. If I'm speaking hopeful words, there's hope here. If I'm speaking loving words, then there's love here. And our heart, obviously, is not any one thing. It's a mix of a whole lot of things. But there's such a helpful uh, assist for us here in that I can really start to pay attention to my words, and that's actually going to help me notice what's going on inside here. If bitter, cynical things are coming out of my mouth all the time, okay, why is there bitterness and cynicism in my heart? Lord, can you... Just come into this place. Holy Spirit, can you come in here and show me what's going on? Can you help me wrestle through this? Can you bring some healing and some freedom to me there? To, to, to just intentionally pay attention. What is coming out of my mouth and what is that telling me about what's going on inside me? And in that sense, our words are a lot like our dashboard lights. When indicators start lighting up on our dashboard, if you have a bunch of them show up, it's probably not wise to ignore them and keep driving, right? If lights start going on, if my check engine light goes on, or if the, the fuel light goes on, it's probably not wise to ignore it and just try to keep powering through. It's probably wise to say, I better fill up the tank, or I better take my car into the shop, or I better get home and take a look under the hood and see what's there. The, the indicator lights are there, and they say there's something going on under the hood of that car. And that's what our words do for us. And that's where if we are wise and if we are intentional, we can actually say not just, 
hey, how do I control my words? But hey, what are my words telling me about what's going on inside? For good and for bad, for where there's faith and hope and love and where there's other things. And then where can I invite the Lord into those places? It also calls us to recognize that if it's out of the overflow of the mouth, that the, or overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, then that needs to spur me on to go, man, I better fill my heart with so much good stuff, right? I better fill my heart with so much truth that truth is what's coming out. I better fill my heart with the word of God. I better seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I gotta seek to be filled with the good things of God. And as that happens, that's going to show up in my words as well. So it's not just I wanna intellectually understand truth and then willfully speak it out more. That's part of it, but it's no, I wanna be so full of truth I want to be so full of the Word of God. I want to be so full of the Spirit of God that that's just what overflows naturally. Yes? Ready for some more? Too bad. And watching where the Word says things like this. James chapter 4, 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Slander is a place where lies get transmitted. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law. And judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And there's various passages about judgment in the Bible, but what stands out to me about this one more than anything else is this is the word of God saying, hey, you who are judging your brother and sister, which I think if we're being honest, we all probably do at times, but the word of God says, you're not qualified to do that. Just, you're not qualified to pass judgment. You're just, you're not. There's only one lawgiver and one judge. And so don't slander one another. Don't tear one another down, especially behind their backs. Like, let's not be those people. Let's not do that. We're coming out of a very contentious election in the States, and it it maybe started to get settled yesterday, although it sounds like there's going to be lawsuits and things yet to come, so we're probably not fully there yet. Uh, But when an election is happening, whether it's American or Canadian or anybody, uh, slander is just part of the game, right? Slander and and dishonesty. Uh, Because your job in the way that we do politics is to make your opponent look as horrible as possible so nobody wants to vote for them. And so it doesn't end up being as much about here's who I am and what I stand for as much as here's where my opponent's horrible and evil and a monster and you don't want to vote for that person. And as they were doing exit polls this year, they were doing this big study on what motivated people to, to vote. And the vast majority, like two-thirds of people said, it's not so much that I'm voting for somebody as much as I'm voting against the other side. And that's what motivates me. And that's just not super exciting, right? But it's, it's why they're doing what they do. And so it becomes Trump is a monster. No, Biden's a monster. No, Trump is a liar. No, Biden's a liar. No, Trump is evil. No, Biden is evil. Both sides are fully convinced that if the other side wins, it's going to be the destruction of America as we know it. Both sides are fully convinced of that. And as followers of Jesus, honestly, we say nonsense to that. Nonsense. And you go, if Trump is in office or if he remains in office, then Jesus Christ will be on the throne and will be working out his plans and purposes perfectly according to his will. And if Biden comes into office, Jesus Christ will sit on the throne and he will be working out his plans and purposes according to his will. 
God's not worried about any of it. He's not concerned even a little bit. And even if some of the circumstances might change, even if some parts of lifestyles might change depending on who's in power, the kingdom that we are a part of is unshakable. We don't shake when the world is shaking. We stand strong when the world is shaking. And even if our preferred political person isn't in power, that doesn't stop the kingdom of God, even a little bit. Jesus talks about politics almost none at all. He says, pay your taxes. Like, other than that, he doesn't say a whole lot because he's about a different kingdom, and we're supposed to be about a different kingdom. We're supposed to be about a different king. And if all of our hope is in secular earthly politics to get laws changed or whatever, if that's where all of our hope is, it's not that God doesn't use those things sometimes, but if our hope remains there to the point where our hope disappears, if the person we like doesn't get into power, we're missing the kingdom of God entirely. Because Jesus is not bound to any party, to any leader, to anything. Jesus will work out his plans and purposes no matter what. So we've come out of this election. Canadian elections are slightly more polite because uh, we are a polite people. But even Canadian elections can get kind of mean and nasty. And it becomes, let's, let's demonize our opponent to the point where nobody wants to, to do that. Uh, nobody wants to vote for them. And then we, even us as the people of God, are sharing things along those lines. We are passing on rumors. We are sharing the information online. We're passing on the things and conversations that we're having. And I said in the first service, listen, like I, I, wherever you land on Trump, wherever you land on Biden, wherever you land on Trudeau, if we're walking around saying Trump is a liar, Biden is a monster, Trudeau is a criminal, if we're going around saying that stuff, especially publicly, judgment day's coming, right? And so you better be right, whatever you're saying and whatever you're sharing. You better be right, because if there's a truth that needs exposing, then it can be a noble thing to expose that truth. But if we're just sharing rumors and sharing things we've heard and sharing things that we've latched on and we haven't done our homework and we don't know if it's true or not and we're passing it along and it's not true, then we are liars along with the person who came up with it. Yes? So you better be sure that you're right if you're sharing this stuff. Because if you're not, you're part of the problem. And so we, again, the Bible says, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Be slow to post for crying out loud. The internet works at the speed of light. We don't want to be making decisions. We talked in the first week that truth requires a search. We actually have to go seeking it. We actually have to go digging for it. We actually have to dive in for it. And again, what's going to make us holy? And again, what will happen as we stand before God on our judgment day and get judged for every word, for every tweet, for every post? What does that look like for us? What's going to set us apart? There's also a warning in Scripture. Here's one in 2 Timothy 3.13, talking about as we get to the end times, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about this as well. As we get to the end times, there's going to be a lot more deception. There's going to be a lot more lies. And the Word of God says the more we get involved in deception, the more deceived we will get. So the more deception that we buy into, the more things that aren't true that we grab a hold of, the more deceived we will get. We will be deceiving and being deceived in kind of this cycle. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, it talks about people who just won't listen to the truth and they keep digging in and they keep doubling down on the lies. Eventually, God will just give them over to the deception and say, all right, if lies are what you're about, then fine. It's a scary verse. 
And there's just that warning there for us that we got to take this seriously. And where some of you have said, uh, you know, why in this series are we not only talking about biblical truth? Like, why are we talking about politics? Why are we talking about the internet? And the reason why we're doing that is that what has concerned me is that the Bible says as we get closer to the end, the deception will get worse. Right? We need to be a wise and discerning people. And part of what has concerned me in this season is that if we're not even doing our homework to find out if uh, what a politician said is true or not, if we're not even able to tell if a headline is true or not, and if we're sharing these things everywhere with no real idea whether they're truth or not, then that concerns me as your pastor. Because as deception gets worse, I want us standing in truth. As judgment day is coming, I want you to have a good judgment day. Part of my job is to get you ready for your judgment before the Lord. And so I want us to take this stuff seriously. And I want us to be committed to truth all the time. It can't be I'm going to be committed to truth when I'm in Bible mode, but then I'm going to go on the internet for four hours and not be as concerned about whether something is true or not. I'm just going to believe what I read. We have to do better than that. To be truth seekers is to be a truth seeker all the time, not just when it comes to God's word, but all the time. There was a ministry uh, that I years ago used to be loosely connected with, a big ministry uh, up in the Toronto area. And they got into some trouble a few years ago where they, uh, they had a guy who was working with them and he came in with an investment opportunity. And my father was a financial planner. Uh, he's retired now. But he looked at the business opportunity and he said, this is a scam. He said, this is, not, this is not good. He says, I don't even need to be discerning to know it. Just It's my area of expertise. This is a scam. Uh, my dad's basic rule of thumb with investments was, if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. And so people disagreed with my dad. And so some got involved in this investment. And then uh, as it seemed like money was coming in from it, they went and they found other people and they got more people involved. And then as money seemed to be coming in, they went out and they got even more people involved. So at the end, all of these pastors and Christian leaders in Canada were involved in this. And then the truth came out that it was all an elaborate Ponzi scheme. It was all just a, a totally made up shell game. And, and the ministry survived, but a lot of the leaders had to resign and the securities commission got involved and people got charged and the guy who spearheaded it uh, was charged and was going to go to jail and he ran to the states he got charged for something else there and so now he's in jail down in the states and it got very very messy very very quickly and you know as we open the door to deception it's easy to be deceived and to keep getting deceived if we're not careful. Nobody in that group was willing to say, are we being deceived on this? Like no one was really willing to ask that question. No one was willing to do the homework. And so they got deceived and then they deceived others and then they deceived others and then they deceived others. And then the whole house of cards came crashing down. So this is why we need to take this so seriously. This is why we never want to be so arrogant as to say, I'm not deceived. I, I couldn't possibly have it happen. Like this was a God biblically-based, spirit-filled ministry uh, with leaders who I knew personally who were strong men and women of God, and they still got caught up in it. And so the point is not to say, well, how could that happen to them? The point is to say, Lord, please give us the grace to not go there. Let us learn a lesson here. We don't want to go down that path. Help us to learn from there. Help us never be so arrogant as to think that it couldn't happen to us. To be people of integrity, to be people who live out what we do, live out what we say, live out what the word of God says. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 37 in the Sermon on the Mount, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. 
Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And he's talking about oaths that, you know, sometimes when people want to show that they're serious, they would swear an oath. And it, there was a very formal way to do it in the Bible times. But even today, you will hear people say things like, I, I promise I'm telling the truth. I swear to God, right? I swear. I swear on my mother's life. I swear. I swear I'm telling the truth. I swear. Jesus says, no, Christ followers don't need to swear. Just tell the truth. Just do what you say you're going to do. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you say yes to something, then live out that yes. If you say no to something, live out that no. And it's not just about the oaths. It's about for our yes to be yes and no, no. That means we live our lives with such integrity that no one ever questions what we say. Because we have a reputation where we have been faithful that when I say yes, I mean yes. And I live that out. When I say no, I mean no. And I live that out. It's living your life so intentionally with integrity that just people just trust you. Your word is good. Your word is trustworthy. And so we all have people in our life, I'm sure, they'll say, I'll be there at 10 o'clock. And we say, no, you won't. You're going to get there at 1030 at the earliest. Right? Because they have a track record of not showing up on time. We have people in our lives who they would say, uh, you know, you can count on me. I'm going to do this. And you go like, well, history's proven that you probably won't. But to let yes be yes and no, no means no. We do what we say. When we commit to something, we do it. When we say we're going to do something, we're there. When I say I'm there for you, I'm there for you. And if I say I'm not going to be there, then, then you can trust that that's a no. It's not just about saying the truth. It's about living with such integrity that your word is trustworthy. Because there is so much power in the things that we say. In the book of James, James chapter 3, he talks about the tongue. It's, just, it's like a, the little tiniest part of the body, and yet it can do so much damage. He says it's like a, how, my, how big a forest fire can be spread by the tongue tiniest spark. He says, that's what our, our tongue is like. That's what our words are like. And uh, you all know this proverb from Solomon, the book of Proverbs, that the tongue has the power of life and death. Like, that's how powerful our words are. Your words have the power of life and the power of death. And so I imagine we have all experienced both sides of that from somebody else, right? We have all experienced the good power of words, where words have built us up, where words have brought hope, they've brought encouragement, they've brought life, they've spurred us on towards holiness. Even hard words can come in the power of life. Even difficult words, even hard scriptures, hard teachings of Jesus still are for life. They're still for our good. They spur us on to do what is right and do what is good. We've also all probably experienced the death side of words, where words have cut and words have cursed, and words have wounded, and words have torn down, where words have been gossiped, where words have been slanderous, where words have done damage, right? The tongue has the power of life and the power of death. Life and death are two of the most powerful forces in the universe, and you have that power in your words. And so the question and the challenge is, which power are you using in your life? Which power are your words being a part of? Which power, as a follower of Christ, are you using? How are your words shaping others towards either life or death, towards what is good or bad, towards faith or despair, towards hurt or towards healing? And the good news is, is that even if you have been maybe on the negative side, which we all have sometimes, that doesn't mean that today can't be the day that we turn it all around and say, no, I want to be a light to this world. I want to be a voice for faith, for hope, for love, for the goodness of God, for the glory of God. I want to be one who builds up. I don't want to be one who rips down. I want to be one who heals. I don't want to be one who wounds. I want to use the words that God has given me, the words, the time that God has given me to use 
that for life, to use that for his good, to use that for the good of others, to use that for his glory. The tongue has the power of life and death. So what are you using yours for? Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. To be truth seekers, we have to be truth speakers. We have to be. It can't just be about what we're reading or listening to or taking in. It has to be about what are we sharing? What are we speaking out? And if it has been convicting for you today, as it was for me when I was preparing, the good news is, is that wherever we're at today doesn't need to be the place that we stay. That doesn't need to be the place that we remain. We move forward from this place and we say, okay, so I, I have a new view of gossip now. I have a new view of slander now. I have a new view of the power of my words now. So what will we do moving forward? What will we do even as we leave this place today? What will we do to be different? To be truth seekers, we have to be truth speakers. So here are a few questions for you to think about this week. If you missed the questions or if you're writing them down, you can grab them from YouTube later. So first of all, what are my words showing me about what's in my heart? If we were to really pay attention, what sort of words are coming out of my mouth? What does that tell me about what's going on in my heart? And then how do I lay that before the Lord? How do I pray into that? How do I maybe invite someone else to pray with me into that or hold me accountable in that? What are my words showing me about what's in my heart? Number two, where do I need to repent or make amends? I don't know if there's anybody who hasn't been hurt by the words of, of someone else. And I don't know if there are many who haven't also used their words to hurt somebody else. So is there somewhere we need to go to somebody? Do we need to apologize for something? Do we need to reach out to someone uh, and apologize? You're not responsible for what they said, but you are responsible for what you said. So where do I need to repent and make amends? Is there anyone I need to reach out to this week? How can I live out of the integrity of my own words? How can I let my yes be yes and no, no? How can I be known as someone who has the integrity to do what they say? What's that going to look like moving forward? And what steps can I take to become more of a speaker of truth? And just to get you started on that journey, one of the things is going to be we have to be people who fill ourselves with the truth. We have to fill ourselves with God's word, be full of God's spirit, and follow in the way of Jesus. So as we come to the end of our Truth Seekers series, here's just a bit of a wrap-up. Uh, we've been here for eight weeks, and here's just, uh, as we have talked about, what does it mean to be a truth seeker? What does it mean to follow after the truth, to hunger for it, to dig into it? How can we tell when we're actually on the right track in our journey to find truth? What are some tools that we have to help us? Here is a summary of the series. How do we know we're on track? First of all, when we've done our homework, making a careful investigation into whether something is true. That was week one. That's how Luke's gospel starts. Luke chapter one, Luke says, I've made a careful investigation into this Jesus. I've talked to eyewitnesses. I've talked to those who were originally there and I've put this gospel together. He did his homework. He didn't just automatically accept things as true. So if we're gonna be truth seekers, that has to be us as well. We don't just swallow what a politician says. We don't just listen automatically to a sermon without questioning it. We wanna dig into truth. We wanna make sure things are true. We are going to actually do some homework to find out if something's true. We know we're on the right track week two when as much as we are able, we've acknowledged our own self, our own sin, our own biases, our own flesh, and we've sought to remove them from our search for truth. We all have stuff within us that is sinful. We all have opinions about things. Uh, if you have certain political opinions, that's going to approach how you look at certain politicians. And so that may or may not be truth, but we need to be aware of the biases that we're bringing to the table. There's no one who's innocent of it, but we can acknowledge it, be aware of it, and try to work around it and make sure that it's not deciding for us what the truth is. 
We know we're on the right track when we thoroughly check things against the word of truth, against scripture, all of scripture, not cherry picking verses, but actually digging in. What does the Bible in its entirety say on this issue? And we are seeking to be more and more filled with the word of God. We know we're on the right track when we thoroughly check things against the spirit of truth. We took a week to talk about the Holy Spirit and are seeking to be filled more and more with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the spirit of truth will come and he will lead you into all truth. And so if we're gonna know the truth, we need to be spirit-filled and we need to check against the fruit of the spirit as we talked about that week. We know we're on the right track when we thoroughly check things against the life and teachings of Christ, our truth, and are seeking more and more to walk in the ways of Christ. We looked at church history and there's times where the church just seemed to get really off track in the truth department. Slavery is a good thing, they thought for a while. Slaughter in the name of Jesus during the Crusades is a good thing. How is it possible that they took scripture and got to that point? Well, part of it is they took Jesus out of the picture. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to follow the teaching and the example of Jesus. And so we're going to take some time there for sure and say, is this thing that I think is true lining up with the way Jesus lived his life and with what he taught? We know we're on the right track when we've acknowledged that certain things are opinions and not facts. We talked about disputable matters. We acknowledge that certain things are opinions and not facts and have given grace to disagree where appropriate. We're not disagreeing about, uh, we're not ignoring every disagreement, but we are saying there are certain things that the Bible is less clear on. There are political opinions that are just opinions. So we were, we're going to give some grace to disagree there while also seeking to grow in our understanding. That doesn't mean that we just lock in and say conversation over, but we're, we're just going to understand that there are certain things that are a bit harder to understand and we're going to be okay with that even as we keep digging for more and more truth. We'll know we're on the right track when we've allowed our ideas of truth to be cross-examined. We talked about this last week. Our ideas and our convictions to be cross-examined by smart and solid and reliable sources to see if they hold up. The Council of Jerusalem didn't just listen to one side of the story. They listened to both sides of the story. As they listened to both sides of the story, they arrived at the truth together. So we don't want to just be tunnel-visioned, you know, head in the sand, la 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 la. I don't want to hear things that disagree with me. We want to allow that cross-examination of truth to happen so that we can know if it's really true, it's going to stand up to the cross-examination. And finally, from this week, we'll know we're on track when we ourselves are speakers of the truth, seeking to be so full of truth that it simply flows out of our hearts through our words. The more we are filled with truth, the more that we tame our tongue, the more that we give ourselves over to speaking life, the more we are going to be people of truth as we follow after Jesus, who is our truth. Would you stand to your feet with me, please, as we get ready to close today? We're going to sing some truth to the Lord, and then we will pray to close off together.